Welcome to the 24th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, we'll focus on college basketball, including the outlook for the NCAA tournament bubble and a preview of Patrick's NCAA tournament bracket picking experiments. Let's jump right in, and as Selection Sunday is coming up in a few days, we're going to start with our final discussion of bubble teams and the impact of recent action on Patrick's bracket and bubble predictions uh, at the time. So let's start with the last four buys for the NCAA tournament. Patrick, what do you have? I have Georgia Tech, UCLA, Michigan State, and Louisville. And your last four into the tournament? Colorado State, Drake, Syracuse, and Utah State. And then we'll go with the first four out, also known as the COVID waiting list. St. Louis, Ole Miss, Boise State, and Xavier. And we call it the COVID waiting list because if a team drops out of the bracket after the announcement, they will automatically get replaced by one of those four teams. So then we'll go with the next four out. Memphis, St. John's, Seton Hall, and SMU. And I would like to note that all of those teams that I mentioned in the last four buys, I would say are guaranteed their spot, uh, mostly for the reason that three of them have ended their seasons and most of the teams behind them have ended their seasons, so they can't jump ahead of them with a win. Uh, in Georgia Tech's case, they are in the finals and a bad. there is no bad loss in the ACC Conference Tournament Finals. Uh, if anything, they're going to get an... If anything, it's between an auto bid or a, a 10 seed there. Uh, and then St. John, Seton Hall, and SMU all are done with their seasons and are too far out, I would say, to be in any serious uh, conversation for the bracket. And interesting with Georgia Tech, they actually advanced to the ACC uh, championship game because Virginia had a COVID test, dropped out of the ACC tournament. So probably Georgia hurt Tech, them more than it helped them because they, if they had won, if they end up winning the ACC, they could they could easily say, look, we would have won both games and we would have had two extra quality wins as opposed to just one. Probably would bump them really far up on that seating line too. Although with one good win, luck to end the season, one win auto bid, but you think they're in anyway? Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a look. There are some. Uh, Key games coming up that will impact the bubble and some games that have ended the season for teams on the bubble. So let's uh, take a look at this conference by conference. We'll start with the ACC. Louisville lost to Duke. Uh, That game did not end Louisville's chances, although a win there would have secured it for sure for them. Uh, But the loss does not take them out of the bracket. It it let Duke flash a little bit on the bubble for a few seconds until the day after they had a positive COVID test and pulled out of the entire postseason, not just the ACC tournament. Their athletic director did announce that they will not be playing in the NCAA tournament, although we we all know that they weren't making it anyway. Uh, Georgia Tech plays in the conference tournament finals against Florida State. Uh, Syracuse beat NC State and then lost to Virginia, who then also withdrew from the ACC tournament uh, due to another COVID-positive test, and their status for the NCAA tournament is currently unknown. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, that win by Syracuse over NC State got them into your last four. Just enough because of a lot of other chaos that we're going to get to in a second, yeah. Yeah, and probably there will be chaos after the brackets get announced. We'll deal with that next in our next podcast. Uh, In the Atlantic 10, Patrick. St. Bonaventure plays VCU in the finals. Uh, VCU, even though I did not mention them, they are the team right above Georgia Tech. Uh, So if Georgia Tech were to win the ACC then they would be easily ahead of VCU, and if VCU were to lose to St. Bonaventure, you might see them below a team like UCLA, maybe below Michigan State, although I'm not sure. I think they would still probably have a good enough resume to stay above. St. Bonaventure isn't a bad loss. Uh, St. Bonaventure, pretty much up to seeding for them. 
But if VCU wins, I would say you automatically get two teams from the A-10 with St. Louis having a tiny chance. We talked about the possibility of them rescheduling game. Don't think they got that done. Don't think it's possible at this point. Uh, but they still do have a chance if some of these teams lose ahead of them. All right, let's move over to the Big East. Seton Hall beat St. John's in that all-important matchup where I said that as long as Villanova stayed in the tournament, the winner of that game should be in the tournament. Unfortunately, Villanova lost to Georgetown in the quarterfinals. So St. John's gets eliminated with that loss, I would say, uh, barring major, major chaos. Although I would say Seton Hall, I do have St. John's above Seton Hall, but I think the committee could go another way with that and say that the win over in the tournament is more important than the win in the last game of the regular season. Um, but the most important thing was that when Georgia Georgetown beat Villanova, it meant that Seton Hall would have would a win over Georgetown would not be enough, and a loss in the conference tournament finals would be maybe scraping by. So it basically turned them from a get into the finals and you're in to the win the finals and you're in. But that doesn't even matter because you're already getting the auto bid. And then they lost to Georgetown anyway. And let's be honest, Georgetown that's a bad loss. That's one of those losses that you would ask somebody on the NCAA tournament committee why somebody is a two-seed instead of a one-seed, and their answer is, well, they had a bad loss. This is the reason that Seton Hall will likely miss the tournament. All right, let's move to the Big Ten. Indiana lost way too early to stay on the bubble, losing that first game to Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers winning that game kept them a little bit above the last four buys, although the, some teams can jump them and push them down there. Uh, Maryland beat Michigan State to move off the bubble themselves, although Michigan State dropped to the last four in momentarily uh, and then moved back up from other teams losing. Uh, but I think they're bo- both teams are both teams were safe heading into that game and are still safe coming out of it. All right, let's move on to the Mountain West Conference. Colorado State plays Utah State, and this is probably the most important game of the weekend for, for now at least. Uh, the winner is in in the tournament easily, but the loser will have to do a lot of waiting on Sunday uh, in danger of missing and for now would move out of the field. On the other hand, Boise State, who has been a mainstay on the bubble as as last four buys, last four in, at one point was an auto bid to lost to Nevada. That's the third time they have lost them this season, pretty much ruining their season by if they had won one or two of those games, they would easily be still in the tournament. But that knocks them out of contention for now. They would have to have one of their fellow uh, Mountain West Conference members uh, lose. They would have to hope for some more losses, and the, co- the committee rules in their favor over St. Louis or an Ole Miss team. So so basically, uh, that loser, that Colorado State-Utah State game, is hoping that uh, Oregon State doesn't steal a bid by winning the Pac-12 or somebody else doesn't steal a bid. Or if, if, Oregon State, if Oregon State is somehow able to pull out the Pac-12 title, then the loser of that game is done. I think they're already. I, I think already the loser of that game has a very slim chance in the first place because uh, I think that another loss would push St. Louis above no matter what, even though St. Louis hasn't played in a while. They still had a pretty decent showing in their conference tournament, and they played pretty well throughout the season and had some pretty high expectations, and, you know, they use the eye test a little bit. This is a team that was ranked in the top 25 at some point this season, so not a bad team whatsoever. All right, how about over in the AAC? Uh, SMU lost to Cincinnati. They were originally in the next four out. That took them all the way down to the last team, but, I mean, you know, it, it might be time to eliminate the next four out category entirely. If it weren't for Memphis, it, would be, it wouldn't be. it would be a thing because 
these three teams that I mentioned, St. John, Seton Hall, and SMU, are, are, are pretty much out. Uh, pretty rough one for them, and Memphis is still in progress against UCF. Memphis does have a chance, if they are able to knock off Wichita State, I would think, to at least move up into the first four out, which, as you said, could be very important as a replacement team. And it is also possible that they can get a, a favorable ruling from the committee to go in to the tournament. However, I don't know how likely that is. But I would say that these five teams that I have marked as not out yet uh, on the wrong side of it currently do have enough of a case that at least they will make the other teams that I have currently in a little bit nervous when on Selection Sunday. All right, and finally, let's go to the SEC. Ole Miss lost a very close game to LSU. They would have entered the field with a win, but they do not get that win. Instead, I think I, I they, they do stay put. They are still the second team out of the tournament. Not a bad enough loss to knock them below Boise State. Uh, overall, I have a pretty solid body of work there. I had mentioned before that if they had beaten LSU, they would, or in the last podcast I mentioned that their scenario to get into the tournament was beating LSU and making sure that uh, they ended up playing Arkansas, and if they lost a close game to Arkansas, who cares, because Arkansas would have been on a 10-game win streak at that point. Uh, Arkansas did win, but Ole Miss did not, so now they're going to have to do some nervous waiting. All right, well, we still have a couple, as you've indicated, a couple of games that uh, will be extremely determinative as to who makes the NCAA tournament on Sunday uh, when those brackets are announced. We'll obviously talk in detail about those brackets in our next podcast. Uh, that wraps up this little segment uh, of college basketball, and we're going to turn next to a, have a little fun with the NCAA brackets before they get announced in our next segment. We're going to do a little preview of uh, your bracket picking experiments that you intend to undertake this year once the brackets are announced. So you, like a lot of people, when you're picking your brackets, you don't want to just go with all higher-seeded teams. Sometimes you're trying to win a, a pool out there with your friends, and over the years, you and I have uh, employed some different strategies. Some have worked better than others, and we've come up with some creative ones to to try to do a method for picking different brackets to win uh, to win some bracket picking challenges or office pools. So, Patrick, what are these different bracket picking styles, and how do they work? So, the first one is my subjective or personal picks, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I mean, I, I would say these are like what you would say is your one entry that you would pick, and you'd say, "I'm doing my bracket this year." If you're not like me, I normally go crazy and do at least three or four different things. I always come up with random ideas, but this year I fleshed it out a lot more. Um, this is the one that you, this is your bracket. This is the one that you enter. This is the one that if everybody says you can only enter one of your brackets, this is the one you're picking. Uh, the second one are my objective picks. Uh, one of my staples of my subjective picks is everybody knows this. I have picked Michigan to win the championship every single year that I've been conscious of that kind of a thing uh that means even if they're a seven seed even if they're a four seed a three seed and you know what to be honest i will take it because my success rate picking michigan to win is pretty good they have made the championship game twice out of seven times that i picked them to win the whole thing so i'll take it because it's a lot better than the rate that you would have gotten if you would pick kentucky to do the same in that rate even when they were undefeated uh the objective picks Probably going to differ mainly in Michigan games, uh, maybe a little bit in some other conferences, definitely with definitely with teams towards the top that I might hold grudges against, such as Michigan's rivals, maybe Ohio State. In my personal one, I might have losing a little bit earlier, things like that. Uh, but then the third one that I would say is another thing that I do standard is the upset picks. 
Uh, in every round, I've made the rule that half the games must be an upset. So in the first round, for if you were going region by region, at least four of those games, I have to pick the lower-seeded team. Uh, this one, we'll see how this turns out, but I think you wanted to say something about one of my picks. No, I just, uh, are there strategies for picking upsets? And, and also, uh, before we get to some of these others that are more straightforward, are there strategies you, you use to pick upsets? And then when you're doing your subjective picks, you've talked about your Michigan bias and your anti-Michigan rival bias. Does that also impact, okay, because I want Michigan to go, if there's a higher-seeded team in Michigan's region, I'm going to pick for that team, find a way for them to lose earlier? How do you... No, I, I think I think I just pick the teams, and when I see somebody, if I see an opportunity where I think a team I don't like can potentially lose, I will pick them to lose. I don't think I'll be. T- I'm not taking the 15 seed in the first round against Ohio State, but if it's a seven seed that I like the matchup with, it's possible. I think is how I would describe that, and I don't do it clearing the path for the team that I want to win. No, I just go on the on the games. What about upset strategies? Uh, I think there, if I'm doing half the games, look, I'm going to try to do more, but I think there are some of them where I won't let myself... Look, I want the upset picks to be at least competitive, you know? I, I don't think they're going to do as well as my uh, my first two and the ones we'll get to later, but they, they, they I want them to be competitive, so I, I think they will be pretty competitive, but maybe in the later rounds is where it will start to fall apart, because when you only have two teams to pick and you have to pick a lower-seeded team... Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I think mathematically I end up with zero number one seeds in the final four. So I think that will be the downfall of that one are the late round picks. However, the early round picks, as you know, the NCAA tournament always has a bunch of upsets. So frankly, picking all upsets in the first round might actually get you a better, a better score in the end than just picking straight up chalk. So I imagine when you're doing that though, you're picking a lot of the nines over eights and the closer matchups. If you've got to pick some upsets, you're not flying around picking 16s over 1s all the time, right? Of course. I mean, I think the first maybe three seed lines, maybe if I get a little bit crazy, maybe there's one 14 that I'll pick over a 3, but I think that's about as far as it will go. Uh, although there have been three seasons in the last seven tournaments that were played where 12 seeds went 3-1 and one in the tournament against the 5 seed. So it is possible that picking all the 12 seeds might end up better than picking all the 5 seeds. That's definitely one where I'll default to, if I need to pick uh, a big upset, and maybe I really don't like the 11 seed that's in it, I don't know, throwing out a team, if it was in my subjective picks, I would say Michigan State. Uh, if they're playing a 6 seed, I'm not picking them to upset, and I'd rather take the, f- the 12 beating the 5. So... There's a little bit of a variance there. I'm not going to be only picking uh, the five seed, the five, six, seven, and eight seeds to lose every time because that would just get boring. It will be different. But I will say that upset picks, they do have chances in the early rounds, especially. All right, let's move on to your next style. The next style is the Ken Palm rankings. Uh, the next three actually are all rankings based. But I think this one has a lot of potential because we've talked about it a lot. We've talked about the stat. We did a whole uh, segment on a few uh, a few podcasts ago on this that you have to be top 20 in offensive and defensive efficiency to be a champion. Only one of the last 20 champions has not been that, and that was when UConn went on that amazing run as a seven seed. So unless we think there's a seven seed winning the tournament this year, those brackets should end up pretty well and might end up picking the right champion as they typically do. Uh, AP rankings and coaches rankings, obviously the higher ranked team in the final AP or coaches poll is picked in each game. 
And if there aren't enough teams ranked, which there won't be mathematically not possible, uh, any team that's in the others receiving votes category, or if they have more votes than the person they're playing in, say, an 8-9 game where you might have neither team ranked, but both teams and the others receiving votes, whoever has the most ranked votes wins. That one will be interesting because it's really a thing to see if the media know better than the coaches by the end of the season about who's the best. Obviously, the media has more time to watch the games, and that is their jo- and that is their jobs. But the coaches probably know who's always good. More. Yeah, the coaches have little biases too. That that's also to true. Rankings. That's also true. We definitely saw that in the college football season. Not to mention a guy named Dabo Sweeney. Uh, but that's a whole different story. The next one after those rankings ones would be chalk, which is literally picking the higher seeded team in every single game all the way until you have the number one overall seed, who I think we can all pretty much easily say is Gonzaga winning the championship. And then the last one, which is almost doomed to fail, is picking from a random number generator. I will tell you that this this one last time, one of the only things that got right was Murray State winning uh, their first round matchup. I was so happy that it picked a 12 when Murray, that it picked the number 12 instead of the number five when Murray State with Sean Morant was playing. But unfortunately, the way that I did it last time ended up that 16s beat ones. Actually, there was only one seed that won in the one one seed that won in the first round. So I had to change it to make it at least a little bit so better this, this year. So for this year, since I'm changing it, I, it's going to be one or two, and whichever team is listed as the quote unquote home team, aka the higher seeded team, will be assigned the number one, and the quote unquote away team will be number two. And we might even do the drawing of the numbers on the next podcast. Who knows? Uh, But I will pick from those teams. And however that shakes out, I will pick those teams no matter what the game result is. Uh, But I will be picking however... I will just be picking through that 50% chance of winning for either team. And if it ends up that I have 10, 10 twos in one of the regions, then okay, I guess I'm picking a lot of upsets in that round. But it's also possible that maybe the odds go in my favor and all the one seeds end up winning and all the two seeds end up winning. So this could also be like doing a coin flip. So maybe you'll do a random number generator and I for fun can do a coin flip. Heads is heads is the home team, tails is the visiting team. But uh, we'll, we'll see about that. I, want, I have a question for you about your chalk. So... Uh, for those who don't know, the higher-seeded team, so the, the one with the lower number, but the higher-seeded team, is picked in every game. So um, who do we have right now? Uh, who would be the, the, the final, your Sweet 16? Because the, it would be the top six te- top four seeds in each region. So who, who would that be uh, if the bracket were announced today and you picked all chalk? What does that re- leave you with? So that would leave you with Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and Illinois in the final four. It would leave you with Gonzaga beating Illinois to face Baylor in the championship game where Gonzaga would win. Uh, moving backwards a little bit, you would have Gonzaga beating Houston in the Elite Eight to get there. You'd have uh, uh, Ohio State playing Baylor. Uh, Iowa would play Michigan. That'd be a fun matchup again in the Big Ten. And you'd have Illinois playing Alabama. Overall, though, those were that's a little confusing how I said that, so I'll go through top 16. The top 16 is, ba- is Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Illinois, then the two seeds, Alabama, Iowa, Ohio State, and Houston. The three seeds, Oklahoma State, who made a huge jump after what they've done during the Big 12 tournament. I think they were all the way down at a five seed at the beginning of the week. Beat Baylor, um, they beat Baylor, and they also beat West Virginia earlier in the week. Very good wins by Oklahoma State. Uh, and then Arkansas, Texas, Kansas, and at the four seed, 
You would have West Virginia, Virginia, Florida State, and Purdue. And there's a slight chance that if Creighton wins the the title that they go over Purdue. I'm still kind of back and forth on who gets that last four. But that would be how your Sweet 16 turns out. Those would be the 16 teams. I think it's pretty obvious, though, that Chalk is a little bit... uh, it's a little bit it's a little bit worse than some other picking methods because even Ken Palm would tell you that some of the six seeds are better than some of the four seeds and some of the fives are better than the threes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's not necessarily and also it's March Madness, so you know that the top sixteen overall seeds are not gonna be the sweet sixteen teams. I mean, we can pretty much book that. So So and then with this year we've got another little twist because in looking at your sweet sixteen, you've got two teams in there if the chalk method holds Kansas and Virginia, who had to stop their conference tournament play due to COVID-related concerns. And as we mentioned before briefly, um, if they aren't able to have five players available... They have they, to have that replacement team. The, and also, repl- that replacement team slides, slides straight, straight into to the their seed, seed line. So you could have, let's go by your first four out. Let's just say, for for you know the sake of argument, Virginia can't play because they don't have enough players. If Virginia Saint, couldn't play, you would get you would get Louis, St. Louis as the four seed in the region so probably how would with you do that Michigan. In your chalk? Um, would you would you pick them? I would pick them. Uh the <laughs> higher seeded team is the higher seeded team. Oh, so I would pick them, but um I think <laughs> that one I have to stick with it. I mean, that one's locked in. So it's the, just so based on, on seeding only. This could impact your methodology and we'll know these teams can get replaced up to uh, 6 p.m. two days before the, the the game before the first game. Otherwise, uh, if if a team is out because of COVID after that, it's a forfeit. And also that first four out thing is interesting because I don't know what they're doing about if they're if if those teams are in the tournament, then what are they what what happens with the next four out? Uh, if you need six replacement teams, do they even go into the next four I out? I don't know. It's I, I don't we'll think they've see. actually stated that. I know Mitch Barnhart. I listened to him. Uh, talking this morning that he did say that they are going to do pay a lot of attention to cleaning up what they're looking at in the first four out, and they are going to pay a lot more attention than they normally do to actually seeding those teams in order so that they can be ready to step in, although who knows what they're doing with the next four out. Yeah, so in these other methodologies, let's say you had St. Louis replace Virginia. Um, when you're doing your upset bracket, is it going to be an upset if you pick that team to win? I think it would not be an upset if I picked that team to win because I would pick them to lose in the first round. <laughs> okay. Uh, then... I think any, because frankly, if you're looking at where these teams would step in, if you're looking at the three or the four seed, you are looking at quality, maybe not exactly amazing conferences, but some of the one-bid leagues can produce really good teams. I mean, Liberty won their first-round matchup uh, last year, or last tournament, I guess. Uh, Yale, a lot of teams from the Ivy League have won before. Harvard's won a lot. Yale has won a few times. Uh, I remember Harvard even won at the 14 spot over a three seed. It is very possible for these teams to beat teams really high-seeded. And when you consider that they're not even going to be high-seeded teams in the case that Kansas and Virginia or one of them or either of them or none of them get replaced, that... These aren't really even three or four seeds, and sometimes these teams end up losing in the first round anyway. Now you're playing a team that's actually probably at their level. Uh, if you look at it and you were to take out auto bids, the teams in the first four out would be the 12 seeds and the sure. 13 seeds instead. So they are teams pretty much on their same level. So strange thing on that, and then we'll move on to the, to the final part of the segment. Uh, because, like you said, these teams would actually probably not be a 16 seed. They'd be a 12 or a 13. What would you rather be? Would you rather be St. Louis in the first four out 
hoping that somebody uh, has a COVID pause or do you, or, and, and that you get to slide into the real tournament? Or do you want to be and, and not Syracuse be last, on the last four and, last and, and have, have to play an play extra game, game and then to have to, to play tournament. a six seed? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> you a tough... You be better off by being in the last four out. It's a tough situation. Out, it's a very tough situation, honestly. Um, I wouldn't say you would rather be them because I think that, especially, I don't want to do any speculation on how the tournament works behind the scenes or anything, but I, I think there's definitely an incentive that if they can get Kansas into the tournament, especially without having Kentucky in it and definitely not Duke because they've already pulled out, they're going to try to maximize what they can. Yeah. I think Kansas definitely, they're going to try, not even just for the sake of Kansas being Kansas, but also for the fact that Kansas will really want to be in. They could have not played the Big 12 tournament, actually. They were down their starting center and one of their rotation forwards, the backup to him. So they and they still played in the Big Twelve tournament. So I think Kansas is determined to play no matter who they have on their roster, and I bet you Virginia feels the same. Yeah, well, we can, we'll get into some of this. What ifs? We'll probably have a little we'll have a little more information in our next podcast, and we'll have the bracket, and we'll know who these teams are. So we can have a little more fun with this uh, in our next podcast when we talk in detail about the uh, NCAA tournament bracket after it's announced on Sunday. Uh, let's let's wrap up. Coming back to your bracket experiment. So what's uh, let's get your thoughts, and I'm going to give you my thoughts uh, afterwards. What do you think, which styles do you think will work best? Maybe you rank them in order of what you think is, is going to yield the best uh, bracket prediction. I think that the number one and the number two are easily going to be my objective picks and my subjective picks because I think there's just a little bit that when you take a computer ranking, I, I think I like my chances at knowing that the computer will probably say, especially in Ken Palm's case, the 12 seed isn't going to win the game. But I think that me personally, I know that one of them probably will win the game. I mean, if you look at the record, as we've talked about before, the 12 seeds have had winning records in years in the past over the five seed, uh, 12 and 16 overall in the last seven tournaments, so not too shabby there. Uh, it is possible. So I think the objective picks will do the best because I think when you when you have a little bit of bias, I think, I think maybe especially when I get to the later rounds, maybe the champion will be the big difference because if you go by the ESPN scoring method, I believe every round is worth uh, 320 points. So if you pick the correct champion, you could basically pick every pick wrong but get the champion, and you would still do better than probably like 30% of the brackets. Uh, so that's very important, and I think that the objective picks will do the, will get the champion, and I think that's where it will come in as, as the difference. All right, so you want to say what I think will be at the top, or you want to go sure, down the rest yeah. of the list? I and actually, then we can go down the rest of the yeah, list after. Yeah. I actually think your objective, I agree, your objective picks will be the best uh, best result. Um, that's because I've seen your objective picks and I've actually seen your picks dur during the season here, but I've seen your NCAA brackets, your objective picks, and you do a darn good job. So uh, I hope that your subjective picks are actually number one because uh, that means Michigan wins a national championship. <laughs> um, and so I'm actually not saying your subjective picks will be second. I'm saying uh, that those will be fourth, uh, and I hope that I'm wrong. Um, but uh, I, I would go with Ken Palm, um, second and chalk third, just for the reason you talked about that uh, chalk usually does a very bad job of picking upsets um, in the early rounds. But the later rounds, each game is worth more. And while usually there's one region that's blown up by 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 some upsets, on the whole, like UMBC beating Virginia, yeah, on the whole, yeah. chalk probably gets about seventy five percent of the games right. And you're getting, and most of them are concentrated and, in the lower, in the later rounds. Yeah, yeah, and you and you get you get later round, more later round games, right? Which are worth more. Uh, each each game is worth more as the rounds go on. So I've got an objective 
then Ken Palm, because I think it will pick up some upsets that Chalk don't. But then it'll pretty much especially match in the Chalk. later rounds. Yeah, then it'll it'll pick them up with in the, the early fives rounds. and fours and the threes yeah, and the six exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. Ken Palm does it. Will do a better job than Chalk. Then I'd go with your subjective picks, and then for my bottom half here, I would go with AP. Then the coaches, just because I think the coaches are biased a little bit. Uh, and then upsets, and then random number. What about you? What's your remainder of how you think these things will turn out? I think easily random number is going to end up at the bottom. I would be shocked because upsets does have a little bit of my brain in it. I mean, it's my brain being forced to conform to certain circumstances, but it's not just completely a computer spitting out numbers that I have to follow. <laughs> so that's a little bit. That's a little bit. I, I definitely agree with you at the bottom there. But I think below my objective picks and my subjective picks at one and two, I agree. I think Ken Palm, I mean, I'm more, I'm more, the reason why I have my subjective picks up is because I believe in myself, of course. But um, I think Ken Palm will definitely be do well. I think Chalk will do well after Ken Palm. I think the coaches are at five and the AP is at six. I differ with you a little bit there because I just think that the coaches, uh, due to having less people, I actually think... If you've ever looked at it and you look down at the breakdown, sometimes there's uh, the graphs of who picks what. I think especially in college football, there are some years where UCLA will be 2-2 two and two in football and the writer that we can say coincidentally is from UCLA has them ranked 25th and it's kind of, sometimes the AP has as many biases as the coaches do. I agree. The writers so, have bias. The, the other thing I forgot to mention is it's really not the coaches voting. Um, having worked in a sports information department, it's oftentimes yeah, I, sports information I, I can imagine. I can hey, imagine. saying, hey, coach, does this work? Uh, so I can imagine coaches don't really have that much time, and also exactly. I don't think they're watching it that much, but I do think that the one advantage that the coaches might have, too, is conference pride because I think that the Big Ten and the Big 12 will win a lot of games this tournament, and I think that because of that, if, let's say, I don't know who is the voter this year, I think it might be Matt Painter for the Big Ten, I think he'll have Purdue up higher than somebody else than somebody else in the AP will and then he'll also have Michigan and Illinois and Ohio State and Iowa really high because he believes in his conference and he believes that he's losing to good teams because what else would he believe um but anyway so under the AP I'd put the upsets in the random number but I really think where I really think where I think uh the difference with the chalk comes in and why I, I have it so low and Ken Palm and I have them under my subjective is because I believe that Ken Palm still has Gonzaga way above Baylor or Michigan or Illinois uh, in their in their efficiency rating, which is what I'm going to be using. I'm going to be using the adjusted efficiency to rank their rankings of those teams. Uh, I think the thing is, I don't think Gonzaga is going to win the title. I don't know who is going to win it, but I think I would put money on two or three teams before I would put it on Gonzaga, just because most of the time... I mean, we saw it the last time there was a big undefeated team. There might have it was Wichita State, and they were thirty-two and zero going into the tournament, and then they lost in the round of thirty-two. So Gonzaga challenged themselves in the non-conference a lot, so they do get that credit. I don't think they're going to go out that early because I think they're also more talented. But I do think that Baylor or Michigan has a better chance of winning the title, whereas Ken Palm and Chalk will have Gonzaga winning so, those games and because because winning the title is the same as we talked about. Yeah. As, Points-wise, getting every single game right in any single round. I think that it would have a better chance of being successful. That's a a very good point. Maybe I should... And the coaches in the AP, same thing. They also have Gonzaga number one, and they're not all of a sudden in the last week of the season going to put all their number one votes on Baylor after they lost Oklahoma State, so we know that they're going to be number one at the end. That that makes a whole lot of sense, and obviously we've had a lot of fun with uh, theoretically how this bracket experiment will work. 
The good news is come Sunday, we will actually have the NCAA tournament bracket out. Um, and so in our next podcast, we will clearly be discussing the NCAA tournament bracket. We will also, as always, uh, review the latest NBA action, and we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Our next podcast will be on Monday, March 15th. Uh, in the meantime, please check out Patrick's additional content, including his last batch of NCAA tournament bracket predictions before the actual brackets come out. That's on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24, .com. Thank you for listening.